You are listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bones, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Mighty God, Everlasting Father, great, great titles. I'm not talking about those today. That's John next week. But how amazing is this? This, this whole passage is describing who Jesus is, this, this baby. When, when Jess and I were in Ukraine uh, last week, the, the, one of the pastors was saying of the, of the Orthodox Church and of, of the Catholic Church there, that they love the little Jesus. They love the little Jesus. They're not so keen on the grown-up Jesus. They're not so keen on following a grown-up Jesus. Uh, It was a pretty astute observation. Anyway, we'll come to this in a minute, but listen, I want to take you back. Remember when you were a kid? For some of you, that was a very long time ago, thinking about Kenny Bennett, but um, (laughs) it's all right, because I pick on on, um, Derek all the time, so I thought I should, like, just shift my gaze. Do Do you remember when you were a kid and you were waiting for Christmas Day? Do you remember that kind of sense of anticipation and excitement, probably all the way back to September? In fact, two weeks ago while we were away, I've, I've listened to Margaret's message, and she talked about being a teacher and how as a teacher you don't want to mention Christmas before, was it the 1st of December? Uh, to be honest, I think that's way too early. I think like last week of term, okay, you can finally talk about Christmas kids. But, but how much, we, how impatient kids get when they're waiting for Christmas and how many sleeps? Like, how many sleeps is it now? Like, we're in the month, and I don't know how many sleeps it is. And what about uh, 20 sleeps? Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I, my brain's not quick enough to do the math to add 365 to 20. <laughs> 385. It's 385 sleeps till Christmas next year. You remember on Christmas Day, it's arrived, but now you're waiting for the green light from your parents. Now you can open your presents. Now, for some of you, you rebels, you might have been down into your presents really early in the morning. It'd be like tearing up paper like there's no tomorrow. But, but for others, you'd have waited for your parents. And for us, this was a disaster. We had to wait until after the Queen's speech. Could you imagine going to church in the morning and all the other kids are like, oh, Game Boy. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I've got a pack of pencils in my stocking. That's about all I've opened this morning. And a tangerine. You know, that's about all I had. Uh, but that, that kind of anticipation, that expectation, and you're there as a child. And you know what Habakkuk means when he goes, how long, oh Lord? <laughs> and as a child, we do that. What is taking so long? That's expectation. Uh, and then when you finally receive... The present. Was it everything you hoped it would be? Was it what you had asked for? Did, did Santa... Um, are there any kids in the room? Okay, so we all know it's your mum and dad. Oh, podcast. Yeah, okay, better be careful with that. <laughs> how, often, how often did you wait for something and then it ended in disappointment? Think beyond Christmas, okay? You, you really wait with anticipation. You're desperate for something to happen or to, to get something, to receive something, and then it just doesn't materialize the way that you hoped it would. Have, have you ever left a gift to one side? Have you ever re-gifted a gift? 
Like, be very careful in church, because I don't remember from a year before who gave me what. And so you've got to be really careful about re-gifting, because, you know, it might turn up on the shelf in someone's house, and someone go, oh, I gave one of those to Tom. You know, that would be a disaster. I don't do that with your presence. <laughs> you know, perhaps sometimes we, we pester and pester for a specific gift. Uh, and perhaps you've witnessed this as a parent. You've seen maybe this year your kids have been like, Dad, Mom, I really want this thing. And they're, they're pestering and they're pestering and pestering. Or maybe as a spouse <laughs> and your husband's been doing that to you or your wife has been doing that to you, pestering you for a specific thing. And then when it arrives, what if that's an anticlimax? Uh, perhaps it's exciting for a day or two. This is what tends to happen with presents, and then they, they go in the cupboard, or the batteries run out, and that's it. Or, or perhaps it wasn't as good as expected, or, or perhaps as a parent or spouse, you did the parental thing, and you decided, I know what my child wants, but I'm going to give them something even better. I'm going to give them what I think they really want, or what they really need. Their parents, have you ever, instead of a pair of Nikes, have you ever given them a sturdy pair of Clark shoes <laughs> instead? Come on, admit it. You've done it, haven't you? You've done it, absolutely. Uh, instead of Daley Thompson's decathlon on the spectrum when I was a kid, where he had to do this and then hit spacebar to make him jump, instead of that game, a, a, a year's subscription to an athletics club. <laughs> Come on, that's ridiculous. Sometimes, perhaps, as children, we fail to recognize the purpose, the quality, the effectiveness, and the durability of a gift, and so often we shelve it. Do we do that as adults sometimes? Or, or when you open it, perhaps flip that round. Perhaps somebody gifts you something, and it's so good. You're thinking, how can I ever repay you? And you feel this kind of receipt guilt. It's just too much. It's too much. How can I? I only got them a five pound gift voucher for Tesco's. <laughs> How can I reciprocate? Here's the thing. In the context of the passage we're in right now, Israel had been crying out to God, how long, O oh Lord? How long before you will break the yoke of oppression? They're waiting. This is a familiar question throughout Scripture in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long, how long, how long have you ever asked God? How long? Oh Lord. Or Psalm 6 and verse 3, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, oh Lord? How long? And then famously Habakkuk, how long, Lord, must I call for help but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. How many of you have prayed desperate prayers for Ukraine right now? How long? How long are we going to allow Putin to do what he's doing to that country? How long, Lord, will you allow him before you pull him back into his own ring? How long, O oh Lord, must the hurts and the deaths and the wars and the tragedies take place? And Israel, they wanted the gift of freedom from oppression, from gloom, as Margaret said, from despair, and they wanted peace. Don't we want peace? Uh, don't most governments want peace? It, it isn't the, the fact that most ideologies, they're, they're actually about having peace 
but they want peace from the people, or they want peace from the invader, or they, they want peace on their own terms, and so they run around trying to create peace. Listen, there is not a human being, bar one, who we'll talk about in a second. There's not a single human being, no matter how good they are, no matter how clever their ideology is, who can bring peace to a nation. Not one. Whatever government it is, it can't do it. There is only one government that is going to bring peace to this earth. And so the Hebrews, they knew that God was the giver. They even, I think, knew he would give. They were faithful to what they felt was revealed through the Torah and through the prophets and through Psalms. But then when? How long, O Lord? And what would this help look like? What is coming to our aid? And so they're expecting this Messiah. This Davidic king, that sounds like a big word, but it means a king from David, King David's line. Somebody from his family, somebody of royal descent would, would come along, but with magnificent properties who would just destroy the oppressor, the invader, whether that was in the time of Babylon or Assyria or now, as we find Jesus coming into the world, Rome. How long? How long? And who we want this king to come? And they're waiting for this warrior to come and rid them of their enemies. But this peace isn't just coming through a person. This peace is a person. That's where we are. So Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. I want you to bear a quick fact in mind here. From the moment that Isaiah penned this verse, it was still 700 years before that baby would arrive in that manger. 700 years, 500 of which God is absolutely silent so if you're feeling, God is taking so long, why are you so silent? Hang on. He is still faithful to fulfill every single one of his promises for you, for the church, for the world. He is faithful. He, his rule and reign doesn't depend on us, like hyping him up. It depends upon him being who he says he is and doing what he says he's going to do. So take courage this morning. And I'll just move on to the next bit. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Now, I've said already, John's going to take some of those titles next week and, and unpack some of those for us, and I'm so excited about that. We're, we're really going to focus on the first part of verse 6 today, 6a, and, and we'll sort of jump into the, the next verse as well. But really, I just want to cover a couple of things really swiftly. little disclaimer here. 
Uh, this isn't original thing. I don't have original thoughts, okay? Like, this comes from studying, this comes from reading, this comes from listening to what other people are saying. Uh, so when I do my research, I'm not like, well, I wait on God, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say? But, but I'm not just coming up with my own thing when I read scripture. I'm, that's a very dangerous place to be, okay? I, I, I want to dig into what the Bible's really saying, okay? So when we look at this verse, it's tiny, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Any of you that need to go to Specsavers, I'm so sorry about this. But, but I want you to look at this. First of all, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And the first thing I want you to see is that this is a gift for to us. That's a gift. A, a, a child is born, a son is given. It's a gift. We are recipients of some kind of heavenly gift. And, and most of you will know John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. His government will have no end, and his rule will have no end. Oh, Romans 5:8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. That's the God who loved the world so much. Love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gift. That's the gift. It comes in the package of a baby, a child, but the child grows. And he takes the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulders. That's the gift. Romans 5.15, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. It's a gift. It's a gift to the Hebrews who've been crying out, how long, O Lord? It's a gift to you, church. It's a gift to the world. A gift. It has to be opened. It has to be received. But it's a gift. And this moment where unto us a child is born and a son is given is the inflection point of all eternity. It is the tipping point. It is the fulcrum. It is the moment where everything changes. We've had one before because God created a perfect world. But there was a, there was a tipping point there where mankind took that and ruined it with sin by listening to another. But this is God tipping it back. And we are in this point, if you imagine, like the sin goes rampant and it's like this, but then Jesus comes and he defeats sin and sin comes down and grace comes up. And that's the period that we're in right now, waiting for him to return again. But here's the thing, perhaps this baby was not what was expected, not what was hoped for. I mean, Rome was right there. I don't want a baby. A baby's got at least like what, 15, 16 years before they're going to be strong enough to wield a sword. Like, surely that's going on in some people's minds. We want a king with muscles who can come and defeat Caesar and defeat every foreign oppressor, but we've got a child. But this is amazing because in this child, we see humanity. Unto us, a child is born. A child. A human being is born unto us. 
And, and Genesis 3, uh, verse 15 says, uh, God says, I will put enmity, talking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He's talking about a human from, from Eve's offspring. A human being will come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. We sing in that wonderful carol. And, and then we move to Christ being born in Bethlehem. And Luke 2 says this, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to the newborn king. And 2 Samuel 7 verse 12 says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, he's talking to David, I will raise up your offspring, David, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. You know, Jesus had to be human to fulfill these words of prophecy. And by the way, I've just given you like three little snippets there that the Bible is full of these things that point to Jesus coming as a man. And he had to be a man to cover the cost of humanity's brokenness and error and sin. And he had to identify with us as a man so that we can trust him. We, we know when we look at you, your flesh and blood, you feel the same pain we feel. You, you bleed the same way we bleed. You're tempted in the same way that we've been tempted. In, in fact, Hebrews 4, 15 says, he uh, who, is, uh, who is unable, sorry, able to empathize with our weaknesses, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. How, why? Because the son is given. A child being born is about humanity. A son being given is about deity. This is God's son. This is the third person in the Trinity, the eternal son of God, who was there in the beginning, the word of the father, now in flesh appearing. Love that line that says, veiled in flesh, the God's head see. Hail, the incarnate deity. God wrapped himself in skin and bone with all of our emotions and all of our pains and all of the things that could tempt us, and yet he didn't fall into sin. Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a big statement. If you've seen me, you've seen somebody who looks like my father. You've not seen my father. My father is invisible to you. But if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the father. <coughs> Hebrews 1.3 says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the, get this, exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God, and in him all things hold together. And Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. How much of Jesus is God? 
all of Jesus. How much of Jesus is human? All of Jesus. Fully God, fully man. That is the Savior, the Messiah who was born to us. Born of a woman, conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. King of kings. He's come from David's line, but he's come from the throne room of heaven as well. And what do kings have and what do kings do? Well, kings have kingdoms and kings govern. And then we get to this bit that government will be on his shoulders. That's about sovereignty. That's about rule and reign. Isaiah 9, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. Isaiah 22, 22, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. What are you striving for in your life right now? What doors do you need Jesus to open? Because if he opens a door for you, no human being and no system in the world can shut that door. But if he has not opened that door for you, no amount of begging and pleading and yanking on that door handle is going to open it. Trust. We, we tend to think, isn't total control a bad thing? I mean, Jesus in Matthew 28 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Isn't total authority, total control a bad thing? With mankind, yes, it's a really bad thing. Look at Stalin, look at Hitler, look at what Putin's doing now, look at what Xi Jinping's uh, Ping's doing right now. They're, they want total authority, and it's a really bad thing. But Jesus' total authority is a really good thing. It's a good thing. Ruler and reign, king and kingdom, it's a gift to us. How often we, we come to God with the shame of the prodigal son. I don't deserve this. Only to discover that the gift we're given is the treasure of the Father's heart. How much does God love you? Jesus is the answer to that question. We don't... We can come as the prodigal son, bended knee, and I think there's an appropriateness in that because God is sovereign and he's glorious, but he's also a father and he wants you to see him as a father. And what the, what the prodigal son does is he comes and says, I'm just not worthy. It's kind of like Peter in the boat. Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And yet he comes and asks to be a slave. He asks to be a servant. And what does the father do? He places robes on him. He places a ring on his finger. He places shoes on his feet. And he says, no, you're my son. You're my son. Whatever shame you guys bring with you when you want to come before God, know this. He will wrap all of that in his righteousness and say, stand up, son. And I, I mean that for the women in here as well. There's a significance here. There's, there's not a gender thing. It's, it's about identity with the father here. Son, son, it means that you have the same access to the Father as the Son, Jesus Christ, when you stand before him. That's powerful, eh? And so there's three things that I want you to know about this gift. Firstly, three characteristics. It's an exceptional gift. The second thing, it's an effective gift. And the third thing, it's an eternal gift gift. 
Exceptional, effective, eternal. Look, it's an exceptional gift. Extraordinary, if you want to use that. To man's eyes, it might not look like much. It's a baby in a manger. No crying he makes? Rubbish. I'm sorry, whoever wrote that carol. Like, it's rubbish. Like, Jesus was a baby, human in every single way that you were human. Did you not cry when you were a baby? If that was true, you're probably one of the freaky few that didn't do that. But babies cry. Babies need looking after. Babies are vulnerable. Babies need their parents to protect them. That's how Jesus comes. And perhaps like the smallest of seeds... That, that turns into the greatest tree in the garden that, that becomes protection and sustenance for all the birds of the garden. When Jesus talks about the mustard seed, the tiniest little thought, the tiniest little seed, the tiniest little bit of faith can yield this most incredible, enduring, perfect, protective thing. You know, we want to hear God in volume, right? We want the mighty shouts. We want to see his power and glory, and we want immediacy. Now, now, how long, O oh Lord? We, we ask, we beg, we wait, we wait, we wait. A glorious king? No, a child. A seed. Something small. But what does Jesus say about peace? When he says, my peace I leave to you, he says, I don't give as the world gives. The world is the world of grand gestures, of big show, of loud media. And we've seen that even this week as they've pulled apart the census. And I've said this already this morning in our prayer meeting. There is not one Bible-believing, spirit-filled believer who will have walked away from the church in the last 10 years. Because if you are Bible-believing, if you are spirit-filled, then you are held in the eternal arms of the everlasting Father. What, what I've read in the testimonies of people who've said, oh yeah, I've, I found church irrelevant to me. I've, I've moved away from the church. I've grown up from it. Actually, the, the testimonies reveal to me, every single one that I've read, somebody that never understood the gospel. They understood religion. They understood tradition. They understood going to church, putting on your tie, doing the things that church people do. But they never, they never had an activated relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have an activated relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if not, you might in 10 years' time be one of those statistics. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you trust in him alone, if you've yielded yourself to him, then in 10 years' time in the next, uh, next census, your name will gloriously have a tick next to the Christian mark on it. This exceptional gift, firstly, God's timing is perfect. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Oh, how good is that? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is New Testament. This is New Covenant 
where this is written, this period of grace that we're in, how long, Lord, will you let the Putins and the Hitlers and the, and the Stalins and the, the, the movements and ideologies of the world take over and corrupt and pollute? Well, God says, this is how long, this is how long, the length of time that I have preordained that it's going to be. Why? Because I want my grace to be known in the world so that everybody has the opportunity to come and bow before me and know this peace and truth. That's why God's waiting. That's why he's waiting. It's grace. It's not laziness. It's not lethargy. Not complacency. It's grace. Beautiful, full, wonderful, accessible grace to you, to this world. And secondly, the gift itself is perfect. Tell me, what has more power than the volume of the wind or the fire or the earthquake? It's the still small voice of God. He's the one who gives those things their power. Tell tell me what has more glory than the stars and the galaxies and the earth and all its inhabitants? Is it that or is it the one who flung the stars into space? The one who stepped down to walk among the world's inhabitants? Well, he has more glory. Tell me what has more, more strength, the horse or the strong man or the one who gave them their strength? The one who could carry the sin of the world upon his shoulders. You see, this baby, this vulnerable child is the gospel of God, which is the power of God unto salvation. So don't be discouraged when God does things that look small or imperceptible or hidden. God can do so much with a little. Even in the secret place in your life, even right now. Uh, And maybe some of you are checking out from hearing my words because God is speaking something to you. You go with him and not me right now. In this moment, God can do incredible things. Nobody else may see it in your life, but he can and will do amazing things. As with the mustard seed that starts small but grows bigger and bigger, or as with the little yeast that works and proves an entire batch, so with the child, so with the kingdom. This is the reversal of go big or go home, or fake it till you make it. That's what the world does. I probably did that as I started out as a pastor because I was scared and nervous and I would stand up and you fake it till you make it. Like put on that bold front until, until you feel like your shoes are big enough to fit that role. No, that's not how God works. God works in the small. He works in the insignificant, but he's doing something of magnificent significance right there. And he will grow you into the shoes that he has got for you. And they're Nikes. They're not Clarks. It's in this exceptionality that we discover that this is an effective gift. Okay, within the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. And the righteousness of Christ is gifted to you upon your shoulders. Holiness, justification, sanctification, these are all things that come through this gift of Jesus Christ. This little baby who grows up and takes your sin on his shoulders and what he puts on your shoulders is righteousness, is God's approval, is grace, is the love of God poured out upon you even while we were still sinners. It's the gift, the ultimate gift that keeps on giving. And to quote another song line, even when we can't see it, he's working. 
The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Whose zeal? His zeal. Your zeal is not going to accomplish anything. It might accomplish a few annoyed people around you. It might accomplish a few people thinking you're trying to be super spiritual. You are not saved by your effort. You're saved by what Jesus has done in magnificent effort upon the cross, breaking through that grave. You're saved by his grace, not by your works. When you are saved, those works start to flow, but they're his works in you and through you. They don't mark approval ratings. You're not on a budget with God. You're not an orphan with God trying to prove. You know what they do in in some of the Ukrainian orphanages? Apparently, sometimes the kids will will give you a gift and say, oh, you're special. I want you to take this and, and know how special you are. And it's a beautiful thing. It breaks your heart. But that's a child crying out, please accept me. Please love me. Please, please do something to help me. Do you know what? You don't have to earn God's love. You just have to go into the room and bow before him and say, please, Father. That's it. You don't have to earn. You don't have to earn. You don't have to earn. You don't have to give him trinkets in order to get him to take you home. All of this is about completeness and wholeness, which is what I said a couple of weeks ago. That's what peace is, the essence of peace, shalom. It's not just like, ah, that's better. It's not like when you've been in a concert and you get home and your ears like ringing and you're like, it's not that kind of peace. This is full, complete wholeness. That's what we're talking about. The Prince of Peace bringing about a kingdom of peace that will be completely at peace. The government on his shoulders. Government means dominion. It has to do with domination. That sounds pretty bad. Like, on his shoulders, he will dominate. Well, what's he going to dominate? He's going to dominate the forces of hell. He's going to dominate the ideologies of man. He's going to dominate every bit of corruption. He's going to dominate over the sin in our own life. He's going to dominate the grave. His reign and his rule. Finally, it's an eternal gift. It's an effective gift. It's an exceptional gift. And it's an eternal gift of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. There's no shelf life. A few weeks back, I said, all of your pain has a shelf life. It has a sell-by date. There is a day coming where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. But, but there will not be an end to the rule and reign that he has initiated and will finally on that day fully incorporate into our lives. Daniel 2, 44 says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will be, le- it, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Daniel 4, how great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. The kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Uh, and Luke 1:33 says, and he, Jesus, will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom 
will never end. It works backwards and forwards, actually. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As John gloriously starts his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the eternal Son, the eternal gift, conceived in the heart of God before creation, before the fall, before all things. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, we've already said, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over creation, for in him all things were created. Do you hear that? In him all things. How many things? All things. Everything. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let me apply this in the next couple of minutes really quickly. It's an exceptional gift. It's an effective gift. And it's an eternal gift. Once you've got it, the batteries aren't going to run out on it. Hear that. You might feel like your batteries run down, You might feel like your energy level has dipped. You might feel like your level of hope has dipped. But the gift of God is eternal, powerful, and effective. Perhaps you feel like you're waiting right now. How long, O Lord? How quickly sometimes expectation turns into impatience. Impatience is the loss of trust. We've just sang, I will trust in you alone. Impatience never leads us down good roads. The entirety of Islam is present in this world. I'm not, and I'm, be careful here, I'm not saying that the entirety of Islam are jihadists or fundamentalists. I'm not making that statement. But it doesn't honor the God who is the eternal three in one. It does honor a different kind of God But that whole religion finds its root in one man's impatience. Because Abraham was promised a son. And he's like, come on, God. Come on. What's going on? I'm getting old here. My wife's getting old here. I'm not sure we can do this anymore. Come on, Lord. Let, Let me tell you, actually, God, I've had a chat with my wife. I've had a chat with her servant. We're going to give you a wee helping hand here. bad because what happens is that that son and the son that God promised have been in contention with each other throughout history if you look at so much of the war in the world today right back to those two sons and their contention with each other impatience never leads us down good roads or perhaps you've received but you feel guilty how can I possibly repay you well you can't (laughs) you can't what you can do is give him everything it's still not enough (laughs) And it's not a heavy demand, because when you realize the treasure, the effectiveness, the power, the wonder of what he's given you, the most natural and joyful thing that you can do with that is say, here's my life, Lord, take it all. Everything in your hands, all for your glory and for your purposes. That is what happens when a believer is born into that gift of God. 
born again by his spirit. That's what happens. We can't help ourselves but say, it's all yours, Lord, everything. What can I give him, poor as I am? I give him my heart. That's what I can give him. Or perhaps you've received, but you're disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Honestly? Ever disappointed with Jesus? Have you ever said, if he's here, where is he in this situation? Perhaps you're going through a situation right now. Where are you, God? Where are you? I actually had a situation like that just a week ago, and I had to leave the room that I was in uh, at council. I was surrounded by pastors. Uh, and the, the way, uh, things that I was asking of God on that day, and they just didn't seem to be happening. And I begged God in the morning in the quiet space, and I said, God, I've got to hear from you today. I really simply must hear something, like that somebody would come and say something without me saying a word that just speaks right into this situation. I need to know it's you and not that somebody else has just thought something. And God was silent. And there was a point in that meeting where I took myself out into the corridor, and I tell you, like, for myself, I don't cry very often at all. I cry for other people, and I wept. I, I wept like my shoulders were moving. And I was like, God, where are you? But once, once the storm settles, and I haven't heard him in the storm, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait for the still, small voice. Amen. And do you know what? I haven't had a specific word about that thing. And I'm asking... I haven't had that word. But what I have had is a word of peace that God has spoken to my heart that has resolved that. Josh. There will be a time when all other kingdoms and nations and ideologies and troubles and hurts and heartbreaks and sinfulness, there'll be a time where that all passes away, where that all is gone and we have one king and one kingdom. Now there's a conflict here because why not now? There's a conflict between the now and the not yet. Jesus is here, he is present, his kingdom is being established. It's right here, you are it. The church of God is the kingdom of God in this place. That is what's happening here. That's why we, our whole vision is to see a kingdom community built in this town. Who does the building? It's him, it's not us. We can't manufacture that, we, we co-labor with him in that. But his kingdom is here, you are the answer here in this town to the suffering in this town. It's why warm space matters. It's why the pantry matters. It's why all these things matter. But just doing stuff on its own isn't good enough because ideologies and governments do that. What we take that they can't is the light of Jesus Christ everywhere we place our feet. What we take is hope every place we go, into your workplace, into your school, into your family, into Tesco's, into the park, into the carol service tonight. Wherever we go, we take Jesus and his kingdom is present. Don't, don't hide that under a table, church. We need to stand up. We need to let that shine. It's not effort. I'm not asking you to become super Christians and be like suddenly running street preaching around the town and praying for everyone in Tesco's. No, people will go, you're weirdos. Don't do that. But be the light of Jesus Christ. Have your ear in tune with him and say, what do you want from me, Lord? How can I represent your kingdom here right now? 
His kingdom is here, but we are still to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Can we know this peace now? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely we can. Let's stand together because I'm just going to wrap this up with this last statement because I want you to know how you can access and activate this peace in your life because for some of you, this is almost a life or death thing right now, right today. Perhaps you've been in a place where you've longed for peace and it just seems to be like just just down the road, just round the corner, just the kind of thing you can't quite lay your hands on it. And you're so desperately, you want that peace. Well, look, Jesus says, firstly, in this world, you will have trouble. But the first thing to know about that is take heart. I've overcome this world. Everything, every sin, every trouble, every persecution, everything, he's overcome. And he comes to bring you peace. It says this in Isaiah, he, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Can we renew our trust in him this morning? That's the first thing that we need to do, renew our trust in him. How do you do that when you're struggling with trust issues? You start speaking out the good things that he's done. You start speaking out what what wonderful things he's done in your life and the things you're grateful for. Start speaking truth over the lies. Where the enemy comes and says, your anxiety is going to crush you. You you say, actually, no, because Jesus has told me that he has overcome that anxiety. And it will take time. And your anxiety will still exist in that space but every day that you turn and pass that to Jesus it diminishes make it diminish like take his peace and let it Trojan horse your anxiety let it in the front door like the tiniest of seeds it might be imperceptible to start with but let Jesus in and see what he can do with that tiny seed that tiny willingness And then this, Philippians 4. And in about a year's time, I'll get to this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Praise God. Peace to us, because peace is a person now. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.